sing one more song here.
says in 1st John, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. How great a love. Another translation says, what manner of love is this? I would like to speak for a few moments here about the manner of God's love. I would like to do it by referencing a personal narrative of my own life and relationship to my father's death, and then bring it back to our father in heaven. Needless to say, any analogy with our father in heaven and trying to make a correlation with our father who is naturally born falls short. And yet, my father was born in 1920. Thirteen years ago, he died at the age of 86. He'd be 99 years old today, or this year. An older generation father did not express his love as many fathers do today. That is one of the few improvements I say to my Christian friends is an improvement in our culture today. My father never said to me, Todd, I love you. My father never hugged me, never offered a hug to me. We always had to hug him, and we never got the same response in return. And then when he died, of course, I was given the privilege to speak at his memorial service, and then I had to assess my life with this man who seemed to be cold, but I knew he loved me. But how do I relate that at a memorial service? I started to make some notes and take stock of my life with my father, I came up with some things that I do believe was at that point and from that point on, from 13 years ago, I appreciate the love of my father more now than I ever did before. And he was not a saved believer. First thing I came to the conclusion was, is that my father provided for me by giving me a home and food to live. I still remember my father saying, do you really think you deserve an allowance I give you food for your belly. I give you shelter. I give you clothes. Some may think in this age that that's mean-spirited, but what my father said was the truth, was it not? He created a safe environment. Country home, on a farm, God had, Dad had guns in a closet, and if anybody came into that house, I'm sure he would have protected us. I'm sure he would have. My father was a strict disciplinarian. He disciplined me for my own good. Four boys, one girl, and a family. Certainly we needed the discipline to bring us up. I love my father because he did not judge me for every time I did wrong or sinned in his presence. Because I know how many times that I did and did that which was unpleasing to my father, 
and it was more times that I could count. And yet he did not speak up every single time in a manner that would judge me. My father loved me, but sadly, my father loved me in the second person. My father would say in a group of people, this is a true story, a true statement, and quote, my children know that I love them. He didn't say, Todd, I love you. God, our father, speaks to us in the first person. Barbara, God loves you. Grace, the Father loves you. And lastly, considering my Father's love for me when he didn't show it, my Father's goal was to give us an inheritance. First, to give us all a home on the 67 acres on the farm on South River Road in Tolland, Connecticut, for which we built a home that he helped us. Secondly, an inheritance for when he died. Humorously speaking, my father drives up to the apple stand one fall afternoon, a beautiful day. Joyce is at the farmer's market. Coincidentally, there's no one else in the parking, so my father has the privacy to drive up in his car. He didn't walk very well at this time. Rolls down his window, says, Todd, come to the door. I come to the door. My father handles me, hands me $10,000 in cash. That was my inheritance. That's how my father, born in 1920, loved me. The silence of my father in not saying to me, Todd, I love you, was not at all indicative of how he loved me. He did love me. And he cared for me. Some of you here today have experienced that deep silence of God. In despair and trouble, suffering and anguish and depression. And there is silence from heaven. And you say, God, where are you? And Psalm 100 says, he loves you. He has always loved you. From eternity past to eternity future. You see, the silence of God in no way indicates that God does not care for you. But the very silence of God is leaving room for the actions of God to take care of you. See, that's what my father did. In actions, he demonstrated his love to me. And in actions, the eternal spirit of God, who, by the way, again, has never hugged us. He has never kissed us in a physical sense because he's eternal spirit. And yet... By divine decree, he is determined that the name Father would be attributed to his personhood for you and I to see him as he is, as the living God and Father of our eternal souls. And he says, in those moments of silence, don't lose heart. For my actions have demonstrated to you that I love you. Think of when Jesus was asked by the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. He says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
You know what Jesus was saying about his father? He provided for you. He protected you. He's sustaining you. Does not the father give you food? Does he not protect you from evil? Does he not even chasten you by testing you? To make certain that your faith is strong to endure in this life that brings trouble. Mighty and strong, O King of glory, the earth is thy footstool, man is servant. Sinew of flesh, dust of earth, who can stand before him? Not a slave, not a servant, nor kings or princes. His scepter makes all bend with knee. No voice, no man, no pride will stand, lest the Father lift his right hand. Gloom and darkness only sinners see. Who can save us is their plea. Sons of God, look to thy throne, where our Father will bring us home. Psalm 100, verse 5 says, The Lord is good, and his love endures forever. Our natural father showed his love through committing his whole life to us. Our heavenly father shows us by giving us all through his eternal son and giving us life abundantly. Psalm 85 says, Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace kiss one another. On Calvary's cross, by faith you have received the very kiss of God through the Son. Do you see that? Sometimes we just see wrath. And the Son enduring the wrath because he became sin for us. But it is also the kiss of the Father from eternity past. Bringing forth in history present. The work of the Son demonstrating the love of the Father. This my Father has done for you. He is kissing you now. And let us rejoice and be thankful for that. For the very glory of God. Amen.
Thanks for the sun. I'd like to this morning amplify on that with a few passages, a few thoughts, and tie, hopefully tie a scarlet thread through it all. I'm giving thanks for the sun this morning, especially for these two verses. He took not on him the nature of angels. But he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. Also, this Jesus, how God anointed him, with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. This one who left the ivory palace and come into this world of sin, This is the one I want to give thanks for today. This is the one I want to exalt today. But this same one who came into this world, the same one who left angels who worship and adore and pour full vials of glory at his feet, came into this world and was despised 
and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Would anybody here ever put that verse on their gravestone? Would you care to be known going through life as being despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? But this is the one I want to give thanks to today, our Savior. This is the one where he came into that garden and he fell on his knees And he sweated great drops of blood, being in agony. This is the one that went further and fell to the ground. This is the same one who went a little further and fell on his face. Our blessed Savior, in his face, in the dirt, of this earth praying Abba Father if it be possible Abba Father only one time in scripture in the gospels Abba Father the same one who was then allowed himself I give thanks that he allowed himself to be apprehended of men But when they came to him, and he asked, Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And they fell back to the ground. He voluntarily gave himself. And then as he went before the high priests, and they interrogated him, Tell us whether you be the, the son of the blessed. One gospel says, that he said, I am. I think that's tremendous. That is just tremendous. And then he allowed himself to be covered. And there they punched him. There they spit upon him. There they asked him to prophesy. Who struck you? You ever think that one day that person is going to be before the Savior and the Lord's going to say to him, You asked me a question one day, you're the man. This is the same one who, after Pilate had him scourged, the Roman soldiers took him and they platted a crown of thorns upon his head. I want to give him thanks for those, bless those thorns this morning. I want to give him thanks for that robe they put upon him. And do you know that there's one gospel, only one gospel, that says that those Roman soldiers kneeled down and worshipped him. And he allowed this. Hail, King of the Jews! Oh, that excites me. I want to give him thanks today for that. I couldn't have did it. I couldn't have stood there and allowed myself to be spit on. And to a man, to a man in here today, I don't think there's one of us in here today that would ever allow that to happen. Especially if we knew we were innocent. 
And then they took him to the cross. I want to give him thanks for those nails that pierced his hands and feet. The excruciating agony that he endured. And then to be lifted up and have insults hurled at him. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Come down from the cross and we'll believe you. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for staying on that cross. The love that kept him upon that cross. And that blood that flowed. That blood that reaches to the highest mountain. That blood that flows to the lowest valley. That blood that gives us strength from day to day. Shall never, ever, ever lose its power. And then they took him down from the cross. Do you ever think about what a ordeal that was? Do you think it was easy to take a person that was nailed? How did they take him down off the cross? I, I wonder about that sometimes. And they, they laid him in a grave. And we just sang about that. He slept three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And that day he arose, I want to thank him that it was not possible that the pains of death could hold him. Not possible that he could remain in the ground, but he rose up victorious. And now, as he ascended, I want us to all be like Stephen today, that we can look up. We can look up and see the glory of God. Imagine the look up and see the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I want to thank the Son today for that. I, I want our hearts to, to swell with, with worship and praise from the youngest to the oldest in here this morning. How much thanks for the Son that ever came into this world to save whoever believes in him. To save even the, the verse when he, when he says he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The, the sick don't need a physician. I mean, the, the whole don't, sorry, the whole don't need a physician, but the sick. I want to thank him for that this morning. Praise God. Thanks for the Spirit and the text this morning, for this is Romans 8.16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. J.B. Phillips in his translation said, The Spirit Himself endorses our inward conviction that we really are the children of God. With our spirit. The Spirit with our spirit. Not just to our spirit, but with our spirit. See, we come to believe that we are children of God. We genuinely believe that we're born from above, that our sins are forgiven. And the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, His beloved Son. And we examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. And we read the texts from things like 1 John, 
where we find that if we love the brethren, that we can say that we're of God. So we have this sort of inner testimony and inner conviction that indeed we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit sort of corroborates that. He authenticates that. The Holy Spirit verifies that witness. He validates that reality to us. The Spirit says, Amen, to our inner sense that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. A woman truly believes that her husband loves her. She feels that they have a strong marriage and that she's a good wife to him. And then the husband comes along and puts his arm around her regularly and kisses her and tells her that he loves her. He validates her. You're a great wife, he says to her. You're a great wife. A child may be at school, perhaps having a hard morning. Other kids being unfriendly. A pop quiz didn't go so well. They're looking forward to getting home to see mom, who they know loves her. Then at lunch, she opens her lunchbox, and there's a note in there from mom saying, Have a good day, honey. I love you. In each case, the husband and the wife, <clears throat> the, the husband and the mother are bearing witness. They're testifying to the inner witness of the wife and the child, and they're satisfying their suspicion that indeed they are beloved and belong to. We've just heard blessed reasons to be thankful for God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. Well, the blessed Holy Spirit takes those truths and says, Amen to your Amen about the truth of what you just heard. That yeah, the Spirit, the Spirit tells you that kiss from the cross is yours. The Spirit tells you the blood that flowed richly covers you. Yes, that's yours. And he says, you don't know the half of it. How does the Holy Spirit do that? How does the Holy Spirit, what does that look like? That he, he bears witness with our spirit. Well, first he regenerates us. He gives us eyes to see and ears to hear on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, social media. Maybe you've seen these little videos, an example of a toddler that gets a hearing aid for the first time and hears his mother's voice. And the face just lights up with joy. I saw one recently of a young man who was in a class for the colorblind. And the principal let him try on a pair of glasses that allowed him to see color for the first time. He broke down and cried with joy. And got up and just started looking at everything in the room that has always been there that he could only see before in black and white. See, the Holy Spirit does that to us. See, we truly hear the voice of our Abba for the first time in the gospel. And we see Jesus in all his technicolor splendor. Whereas before, we only saw what we thought was a dull, drab, black and white Jesus. But that is how the world sees him. And then through scripture and fellowship with the rest of the body, the spirit opens our minds to the mind of God and our hearts to the love of God. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. He inspired the pen. He inspires the ears and the hearts of his people to cry, Abba, Father, as the prior verse says. Now pay attention to what Paul says. He says, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Singular, not spirits. That's interesting, isn't it? See, the Holy Spirit bears witness simultaneously to the entire body. Together, 
we are the children of our Heavenly Father. Together we have Jesus as our brother. Together with Jesus we are heirs of God. It's within this covenantal corporate context of the body that we experience the individual witness of the Spirit. Just as we individually enjoy thanksgiving in the community of all the assembled to partake of the holiday feast. The Spirit strengthens and intercedes. And when we sin and we fall and we feel like such miserable failures, failures, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us once again and whispers to us, indeed, you are children of God. For this blessing and all the other blessings that follow from the Spirit's testifying and assuring us that we are children of our Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son, that he might glorify the Father and the Son. Amen. I'm going to stand and sing again.
Good morning, everyone. I'm thankful for the Word of God. We have the written Word of God, almost too good to be true. Just amazing that God would stoop down to bring His Holy Word to sinners as such as us. The Word is God is everything for the child of God. It's how Jesus started a good work in us and he will be sure to complete it, Philippians 1.6. If it wasn't for the word of God, none of us could stand up here and proclaim anything to you. Not for the word of God, why would anyone want to listen to us? We, would, we could proclaim something we thought may be true, but we would have nothing to back it up. How blessed we are that Almighty God wrote us a book. As we preach and teach the word of God to you from scripture, it's your job to be good Bereans from Acts 17 and 11, to examine the scripture, to see that what we proclaim is so. The word of God is authoritative because every letter is breathed out by God. Everything in scripture is from the heart and mind of God, the author of life, the alpha, the omega. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, adequate, equipped for every good work. Because we proclaim to you, it is based on the word of God himself. It comes with authority, instruction, and power. The Bible is absolute truth. By definition, it's something that is true at all times and all places. It is something that is always true no matter what the circumstances. It is a fact that cannot be changed. Psalm 119, 160 says, The entirety of the word is truth. God wrote us a book. This is a book of all books. It's no ordinary book. This book is above and beyond all other books. It's one of a kind. Nothing can compare to it. God used men of God to write down the words as they were carried along or moved by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. But now know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. All of it. God's holy word. From Genesis to Revelation. All of it written by man through the Holy Spirit as God spoke. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The power of God and the word of God by the grace of God turns sinners around to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It is the basis of what all biblical preachers proclaim. Because of God's holy written word, we can proclaim the triune God to you and preach all of the word in its entirety. How blessed we are that our holy God didn't leave us to inevitable damnation, but wrote us the greatest love story ever that tells how sinful man can come before a holy God and not be destroyed. It gives new birth, spiritual birth for all those who have been born from above. It's our lifeline, our spiritual food for spiritual growth. As newborns crave milk for sustainment and nourishment and growth, so does the newborn again children of God long for the pure milk of the word so they may grow and respect the salvation. First Peter 2, 2. 
And as we grow in Christ, we are weaned from the milk of the word and the word becomes solid food for us as we mature. God has spoken to us and continues to speak to us through his word. Hebrews 1.1 tells us that God's final word to us was in his beloved son. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, in whom he has appointed heir of all things, through also he made the world. Think about all that God went through and how he worked through thousands of years to bring man his word, setting the stage, preparing the world for the coming of his son, whom he is speaking through now in these last days. All of history before the cross pointed to the cross, and all of history after the cross points back to the cross. How would we know anything about God if it wasn't for his word? We would know that he exists because the world displays his glory, but we would still be lost. It's the huge difference between general revelation and special revelation. I hope you're all thankful today for what the Lord has given us. Don't take it for granted. Be in awe of the word. Cherish it. Respect it. Read it often with your heart and not just your mind. Obey it and honor Jesus by it. The word tells us Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's John 1.1. In Revelation 19.13, speaking of Christ, John says, He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Know Jesus by knowing his word, reading it often, memorizing verses for the fighting the spiritual battle that every true believer will go through. It's a key part of putting on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6. This book is a very special book. It's a book of book because this book is living and breathing. This book that we are, that we are so thankful for is alive. It has a pulse. It has, it has the pulse of Christ himself. Every word is alive with supernatural power. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This word will keep you from sin or being in sin will keep you from it. When it is read, it penetrates to our deepest being where it it will expose truth and change us into the likeness of Christ himself. It is able to judge our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. We will be convicted at times. We will be very encouraged often. It will challenge us. It will give us a sure, steadfast hope and love for God. Does God still speak today? Oh, yes, he does. Every time the word is open and read, God is speaking. Jeremiah said God's word is like a fire or a hammer that smashes the rock in pieces. Your very soul and life depend on it. Read Psalm 19 or Psalm 119 and notice the thankful heart of the psalmist for the word of God. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than 
much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the comb. Moreover, by your servant is one, and keeping them is great reward. Ask the Lord to give you a greater desire and appreciation for the word. Ask him to prepare you for receiving the word and holding it in your heart. When Jesus was teaching on the parable of the seed and the sower, he tells us that the word of God is the seed. And when we read that parable, it should awaken in us a desire um, to have good soil for the seed to be sown. We should all be vigilant in preparing our hearts and minds to receive the word of God. When Jesus was explaining to his disciples the meaning of the parable, he tells them to take care then how you hear. So in other words, don't just assume your soul is always good for the seed, but ask God to prepare you to receive it so that you may bear fruit in your life. How blessed and thankful we are to have and know and live the written word of God. Be thankful this Thanksgiving that God has opened your mind and your hearts to know Jesus and his awesome word. This is Thanksgiving week. If you're a child of God, you've been able to say amen to what you've heard. Thanks for the Father. Thanks for the Son. Thanks for the Spirit. Thanks for the Word. And I want to thank those brothers that just spoke. Amen to Brother Todd. Amen to Brother Marcus. Amen to Brother Pat. Amen to Brother Randy. Praise the Lord that he gave gifts to the church Let us give thanks to God for the church. Not just the gifts of the church, but the church. I'd like to select Acts chapter 9 for my reading with you in regards to giving thanks for the church. In Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I have something, too, to say to you. Give thanks for the church. The church in the Bible is metaphored in various ways. The church is metaphored as a temple... As a house, as a vineyard or field, as a body, as a bride, as a building. And lastly here, the church is metaphored as me. Why do you persecute who? Me. Who's the one being persecuted? It's the church. And Jesus said, if you're persecuting the church... You're persecuting me. What intimacy, what closeness the church has to Christ to the degree that he would say, if you're persecuting them, 
You're persecuting me. How perplexing that must have been to, to Saul of Tarsus. What are you talking about? You're some vision, you're some being that just showed up on my doorstep and you're telling me that I'm persecuting you? I've never met you before. I've never seen you before. But you're telling me that I'm persecuting you? Well, that was the ultimate revelation that came to Paul, the apostle who wrote so much about the church. The church that is the temple, that is the house, that is the vineyard, that is the body, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the building of Christ. And me, lastly, me. That's what you and I are to the Lord. We are Him. That sounds almost contradictory. How could we be Him? But Jesus' own words tell us that if you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you and I are Him. And in what way are we Him, the church? For which we want to give thanks. The church is a hospital for healing. You know, everybody has somewhere to go for something in their life. If you're having maybe some psychological issues, you're going to go to a counselor. If you have health issues, you're going to go here. If you have legal issues, you're going to go there. If you have learning disabilities or a learning desire, you're going to go for help in, in a, of those particular places. Well, the church is a place where people can find refuge. It is a hospital for healing. Somebody here may need a healing. And that's what this is. That's what we are. We are a hospital in healing the souls of man and woman and boys and girls. We've got the remedy. We've got the cure. We have the doctor in the house. We have the great physician that we are able to administer to those that are in need. The church is also the oasis for Christ. The oasis for the thirsty. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Where are they going to find those drinks? Where are they going to find that kind of satisfaction that their hungry, thirsty souls are seeking for? It's the church. You and I need to be maybe a little more aggressive in inviting people to the church. Where the church meets, where the church congregates, where the power of God is demonstrated through the preaching of the Word, through the singing of the Word, through the praises that go through the roof and enter into heaven above as a sweet savor to Him. And then the unbeliever will come amongst us and they will so fall down in their face and worship God and say, of a truth, God is among you. Imagine that. That's what can happen in this building, in this sanctuary, or whenever the church comes together, that's the prospects of what can occur. Church is a hospital for healing, an oasis for the thirsty, a citadel for truth. A citadel for truth. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The truth is not in Islam, it's not in Buddhism, it's not in Hinduism, it's not in any other religion. The truth that is in Christ is the truth that's entrusted to the church, and therefore we are the pillar and ground of the truth. I'm proud of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to be able to demonstrate that. That you and I are those that can be for the Lord the pillar and ground of the truth. And we know that that's what people need. They need the truth. 
The church is a school for learning. This is a place where we're taught. We heard four excellent messages on giving thanks. Praise the Lord for the gifts God gives to the church. For what purpose? For our edification, so that we can be built up on a most holy faith. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So that we may grow up unto Christ, the fullness of Him, by the Word of God, handled by the gifts that God gives to the church. Men and women alike, I must add, to our gifts to the church for its growth and its learning. The church is a shelter from the storm. When troubles come your way, where does the church come into your life? Don't isolate yourself. Don't single yourself out. Put yourself out of the communion of the body. That's the place where you need to go for the sheltering of the storm. That's what we need to be. When Jesus said, you persecute me, we are the incarnation of Christ. The church is the incarnation of Christ. What do I mean by that? We are Jesus' hands. We are Jesus' feet. We are Jesus' mouth. We are His incarnation to the world and to one another. Meditate on that. That's a profound thought. That we are the incarnation of Christ. Christ is born in us at the new birth. And He lives in us and through us. And this is how we minister to one another with Christ dwelling in me so that I can demonstrate His love, His affection, His mercy, His goodness, His kindness. It comes from Him through us to one another. The church is the opera house for the hurting. The hurting. Those that are downcast in their souls. Those that are maybe going through a state of depression. Things that are bothering you. Your health, your wealth, your family, whatever the circumstances may be. Come and listen to the songs of praises to the Lord. Come listen to the songs that are delivered to the heavy hearts and what a refreshment that will bring to them. The church is the fraternity slash sorority house for the brotherhood and sisterhood or the brothernesses and the sisternesses of the world to come together. It's the place of warmth. It's a place of comfort. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. The intimacy that the body has for one another should give us that desire. I've been in different churches uh, around the country and they're surprised to hear me call at least them brother or sister. I don't know what kind of churches you came from, but to me that's like baby talk. I mean, that's what just kind of comes out. It's just there. When you're a child of God, I want to call you brother or sister, and I want to elevate that a little more with a little more punctuation and say brotherness, sisterness. It's more fervent. There's affection there. And I'm not trying to develop a new uh, vocabulary for the church, but personally I feel that way towards my brothers and sisters. And I think that's how it ought to be as the church is a fraternity, the sorority house for the people of God. And it's a wellness center for spiritual exercising. You know, we don't just grow in the Word. The Word is powerful. It's important that we grow in the knowledge of the Lord. But we're told to grow in the knowledge and the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't have that proper balance, if we're growing in the Word, but we're not growing in grace, we're going to be a lopsided Christian. The Lord Jesus was full of grace and truth equally. The Word filled with the Word, but as well filled with the grace of God. The church. The church. We are so distorted in our thinking of what the church is. If you're saved, praise God, you are the church. The church comes together to church. This isn't, this isn't where the church is as a building. This is where the church, the people of God, come together. And now the church is going to church for the Lord. We're going to give Him glory. I want to emphasize that we are His hands, His feet. We are His mouth to one another. Why do you persecute me? Paul learned in the ministry the Spirit gave to him as he wrote under inspiration in the Scriptures that the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. That we are members together. Jesus is the head and we are united one with another by the Spirit so that we can glorify the Father which is in heaven and we have the Word of God. What equipment we have. Thanksgiving. We should of all people on the earth have the greatest Thanksgiving. Not just this week, which is Thanksgiving week as, as far as the nation's concerned. And they're going to give thanks for the turkey and the food. They may give thanks for their health. They may give thanks for other benefits of life and amenities that they've enjoyed. Rightfully so. But of all people... The church, we should have our spirits well up inside of us with a, the utmost of praises to the Father and to the Son and to the Spirit and for the Word and for the church. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for being the God that you are, a holy, a thrice holy God who was willing to part with your son for the season that he was upon the earth, and you were willing to punish by wrath our sins in his body through the work of the Spirit in Jesus' life and then in our life to bring us to saving faith in you, O God. We give you praise and thanks that you birthed us from above made us your children, and we pray, Lord, that we would be effectual witnesses to one another, Lord. Thank you for birthing us into a family, into your kingdom, and that we, Lord, can love one another, that we can grow with one another, we can minister to one another, we can help the hurts of each other. So, Lord, we do long to be the hospital, the oasis, the citadel, the school, the shelter, the opera house, the fraternity, sorority. We do want to be the wellness center because the truth is in Jesus and Jesus is in us. And, Father, your word tells us that what we are is what he is. Thank you, O oh God, for making us your children and calling us out of the world, the ecclesia. We're no longer a part of the world, but we belong to you exclusively. Help us, Lord, to know our high and holy calling that we would live for you. Lord, I know your desire for us is that we would be a thankful people.
And truly, Lord, we have heard much this morning from our brethren that have brought before us these wonderful truths about You, the Father, You, the Son, You, the Spirit, the precious Word of God, and we, the Church. Lord, receive our praises. And for anyone, Lord, that does not know You, O God, have mercy upon them, strive with them, convict them, reveal to them, Lord, if they don't have Jesus, they're lost for time, and they will be for eternity until they repent and turn to the cross of Jesus and behold the Lamb of God, Lord, open their hearts. Give them a vision and a revelation of Yourself. Help them to realize the vanities of this world, the brevity of life, and the necessity, O God, to get right with Thee, a holy God, their Creator, so that indeed they would be able then to, like the Apostle Paul, give thanks unto God. Lord, receive our praises this morning in Jesus Christ's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen.